Thank you, Zach. Appreciate that. Um, backtracking a little bit to the 50 plus thing. I turned 50 last year. So apparently I'm in the club now. Um, and Dana and Jet, who helped lead that, wanted me to mention that I'll be speaking at it, which may be a deterrent as much as an attraction. I don't know. Um, but I want to say probably six weeks ago, I felt like the Lord dropped something in me of the critical moment that people in, in this age group are in right now uh, for the future of the church. Now, the future, just the future of believers, church, for the future of the church. Um, the stats, yeah, it, it, we'll, we'll get into it, but it is a critical, critical moment. And so I hope to just express something that helps us understand what God's doing in us, I think, or at least inviting us to at this moment. Um, that is really, really powerful um, because Jesus is in it, not because it's a great idea I had or whatever. So I don't have many of those. Okay, so that's that. If I seem like I'm dragging, I drove to Wichita and back yesterday with my son, Charlie, who he's got a girlfriend up there. We like to go visit. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, I know, right? I'm a good, I'm a good parent. Um, uh, it's just wonderful little girl she met at Shepherd's Fold. She's awesome. And so I was in a coffee shop across from Wichita State University writing this sermon yesterday. Um, yeah, so we'll see if it has any coherence to it at all today. Now, actually, I feel, like, I feel like the Lord, there's something of great holiness the Lord wants to share with us today. Holiness, what that means is God-likeness. Sometimes we can think it means like stiff morality. It's not what holiness is. It's God-likeness. It's the living presence of God himself that does change our behaviors, but that's just part of it. And I was thinking about, I was just so sensing the holiness of God as we worship today. And thought about, you know, if you look at Revelation 4 and 5, and it's this picture of the throne room of God. And it's kind of like you just don't know what to do when you get around God. And to the point that creation itself doesn't know what to do. you got these creatures with four faces and wings. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. That's super weird. And we're all like, yeah, I know. It's super weird. God's overwhelming. We don't know what to do with ourselves. And then I got to thinking how beautiful it was. That, that the moment we were in together was holy. Because God was here. But as I was talking to Tim Cameron, who did that transitional moment, we got to thinking about, here's what's even crazier. This moment, as we're together, was holy because you're here. Jesus, God himself, gave away his life, shed his blood, died so that we could be his temple. So that we could be the place where the Holy One lives. And so if, if you're normal, when you hit the presence of the Holy God, your normal response is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. He saw the Lord and he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That is the normal response. That's not because God is condemning. It's just because this is what's happening. The Holy God and an unholy person are together. But the, the beauty is Jesus says, I know, just ask me, and I'll cleanse you, and I'll say, come in further. 
coming further into the holiness of God. It's absolutely ridiculous what God invites us into. And so, Lord, I thank you for the holy ones here, the saints, that you and we are together. And we ask you that you and Jesus speak to us like you did in Revelation uh, 2 and 3 to, to churches over in Turkey, seven different churches. You had a specific message at a specific time to help us become more near you and like you. Will you do that for us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. The purpose we're doing is we're going to talk about what is church. And, and so we, we, we've also led you through a process on how do, you, how do you get framed appropriately to understand what's going on in the scriptures. We had a series a while ago. If you're new to Believer's Church, if you kind of go back in our YouTube or podcast, you'll see we did a whole series on studying scripture. And, and what we talked about, the two main things that we're going after when we're trying to interpret the scripture is the author's intent. What did the author mean to say? What did Paul, in this case of Philippians, mean to say to his original audience? And one of the ways we get to that is through something we call context. So it's the story that happens before and after. And what, Anybody remember what chapter in Acts gives us context for Philippians? Yeah, 16. So it's that incredible story where the Holy Spirit says, actually Paul has a dream and is supposed to go to Macedonia where Philippi, the city is, and also Thessalonica. And, and then he gets there, he does a church plant with this lady, Lydia, and her friends that are worshiping uh, down by the river. And then Paul has, like, he casts a demon out of this lady. It makes some guys really mad. They get him to the authorities. The authorities beat him and Silas, throw him in jail. They're in jail worshiping. And all of a sudden, an earthquake comes, destroys the jail. All the prisoners could have gone free. Paul says, we're all here. The jailer who's going to kill himself because he's going to die for losing these guys. Paul says, don't kill yourself. Paul ends up leading him and his household to faith in Jesus. They submit to the Lord Jesus. And that's the beginning of the church. And then, then Paul, strangely enough, the, 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 the officials of the city say, hey, you can, um, you can leave now. It's okay. Post-earthquake, you're kind of freaking us out. Um, and he says, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. You beat me without trial. And then they're like freaked out because you don't do that with a Roman citizen. Very, very bad. Um, and so, you know, Paul says, why don't you escort me to the end of the edge of the city, which was kind of, kind of bad. You know, it's like, it's kind of cool. Um, so anyway, that was that. That was our story backdrop. Language, this is a letter from Paul to, in Timothy to the church that's in Philippi. And the history of that. It's, it's about four or five years since Paul had been, to, been with those people in that church. And Paul's in prison. Um, and at the time, Rome is the superpower. And the culture at the time, that Philippi was a very nationalistic city uh, in Acts 16. said so it's one of the whole leading cities in Rome. Now, Rome, honestly, is kind of like the U.S. at this time. They're, they're the strongest thing in the world that anybody knows about. They are the empire. They're, they're the ones in charge of the, the, the Western world. They don't love people proselytizing, in other words, doing what Paul's doing. And what's cool about this city, though, you notice it's unique. In Macedonia, that, that whole country, women played a really significant role. We'll see that reflected in this letter. So last week, we, we read the whole, book of, the whole letter of Philippians in the service. 
How'd, how'd that go for you guys as an experience? That was kind of cool, wasn't it? What was amazing to me is I started just to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we hadn't said a thing other than just read the book, right? And, and so that, that, that's what's, the, I think just the, the, the Word of God is a miracle that we just start to engage with it. And He shows up, oh, they're listening. You know, I just want to be with them. Um, so we read it, and we came up with this kind of like, this is sort of a summary thesis or just a statement about the letter of Philippians of what it could be that, you know, that would help us control what was Paul's intent when he wrote this letter. He's saying to the Philippians, you guys complete my joy by striving as one like Jesus for the progress of the gospel. And so we're going to, that what we'll have is in the background of our heads, we'll have that sentence as the intended message of Paul to his original audience, but then we're going to take it and apply it to ourselves. What's the significance about that whole idea when it comes to church? Make sense? So we're not going to preach through every sentence of Philippians. What we've, what we've done is we've sat together and looked through it and said, what do we think the Holy Spirit's saying to Believer's Church about church from this letter? Is that okay? All right. As I always say, we're going to do it anyway, so hope it's okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about church from just these three verses today, Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. I'll be reading in the NIV. I'm going to read them. I'm going to make comments. One of the things we talked about with uh, uh, language we talked about genre, that this is a letter, but we're going to go a little deeper on language today to try to get at what, what's going on in these sentences. So I'll read it. Paul says to the Philippians, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. So what I'm going to focus on mostly is this actually first verse. I'm going to go kind of phrase by phrase, not every one of them, but just to kind of expand it a little bit to see what is Paul talking about here. He starts with this phrase that says, whatever happens. When you see something like that, it's always good to go earlier and think, what in the world is he talking about? Like when you see a therefore, you need to know what the therefore is there for. Okay, so you want to look, you know, so he says, whatever happens. Well, what Paul had just said, he said, I'm expecting and hoping I'm not going to be ashamed by preaching the gospel, but I'm going to have sufficient courage. So Jesus will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul's basically saying, I don't know if I'm going to live or die and be able to see you again. But whatever happens, this is what I want you guys to do. So it's kind of an intense moment, right? He's in jail. He's not exactly sure if I'll ever see these guys again. In fact, I might die for doing the very thing I did with the Philippians. But either way, I've got something you need to know. That's probably a pretty important message, right? Okay, so then Paul says, whatever happens, whether he lives or dies, conduct yourselves, 
in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now here's what's interesting. If you wanted to find just one sentence in the whole letter of the Philippians, this is probably a decent summary because what we'll see throughout the rest of this letter is Paul unpacks what does that look like. He's going to start in chapter 2 and unpack that. But in this second sentence, well, in this sentence, um, well, I'll talk about the summary of it. I'm, I'm, off, I'm on Wichita time here. Whether I come and see you or not, here in my offices, I'll know that stand firm in one spirit. This is kind of a summary of the whole book of what it looks like to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, conduct. This word conduct, something's good to know, is, is, is the, the word polydomai, which the only reason I show you that, now how do, how do we get to this? You can look at things called commentaries. If you want to know the commentaries I used, I'm happy to share those with you or let you look at them. I've got a number of them at, at the office here. Or Bible dictionaries that, that and, and I happen to have been trained studying the original languages, so I have an idea about what's going on. That's specialized language. Do you have to know that to be able to understand this? Absolutely not. The translations are awesome. But one of the things that's fun to do is th- this word polydomai, how many of you guys know more than one language? How many of you guys speak more than one language? Okay, yeah, that got a lot less real quick. It, it, it's, see, we Americans don't understand that from going from one language to the next, it's not like a one-to-one, just tell me what the literal version is, right? You, you, sometimes it takes a few words to describe what one word means. And, and when we do a translation, we have to make decisions that we can't get all the shades of meaning into it because it starts to sound weird. Um, so in this case, this word is a word that was used that had to do with fulfilling your duties as a citizen. It's only used two times in the New Testament. And when he says conduct, he's not just saying act. He's saying, he's, he's saying to the Philippians who are a nationalistic city, one of the leading cities in Rome, a word they're going to go, ah, it's a big deal to be a Roman citizen. But Paul's saying, Fulfill your duties as as a citizen. And later in this letter, he's going to say, but your citizenship is in heaven. You have a different citizenship loyalty than Rome as a Philippian society member. It says, fulfill your duties as a citizen. In fact, if you look at the New Living Translation, they went ahead and just added it. It's a little longer um, to, to unpack the idea they said, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves. So basically, just took out conducting, pulled out that, that shade of meaning to, to unpack it. And this, again, is important because what we saw in Acts 16 was all about Paul's Roman citizenship. You tracking with me? Okay. So Paul says, conduct yourselves. Fulfill your duties as a citizen. Yourselves. He's talking to the Philippian church, which means that... Citizens of heaven are the church, the church are citizens of heaven. So that's really clear, okay? So the church, he's speaking to the church, he's later going to call them citizens of heaven. Your, your, your nation, if you will, is heaven. Okay. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Anybody remember what gospel means? Good news. Yeah, we've got good news. But there's also two things that are good, really important to know with the word gospel from that culture. Again, knowing the language from that culture helps us understand. 
that, okay, there's a Greek version of the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. But many, many years ago, there was a Greek translation out of it because nobody could read Hebrew. Most everybody's reading Greek. And the word they used, they used the word gospel, euangelion, to talk about military victory or God's victory. So each time you see that in the Old Testament, in the Greek, it's a military victory. And then in ancient Greece and Rome, a gospel, a euangelion, was an announcement that a king had been born. A new king was in town. There's, or, or the emperor has won. We've conquered once again. And so there's a gospel sent throughout the whole empire. to let the, So the gospel bearer, the evangelist, if you will, was the one to say, Augustus is king. And so Paul's saying to Philippi, there's a gospel. There's a gospel. And, and it's, it's, it's a little different than you thought. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel. Christ means the anointed one, of Messiah, of Jesus. It means Jesus is the new king in town. Jesus is the new king in town. Now you've got to catch how kind of weird this is. Some guy's coming into the city saying somebody else is king, even though there's, a, there's an emperor who's currently the dude. This is kind of weird. What's going on? So yeah, this guy, Jesus, this guy's saying a gospel that Jesus is the new king in town. And we see later in Philippians that Jesus, his gospel, what he's done is he's defeated all of the powers of sin, death, and Satan. And that Jesus' kingdom takes precedence over all other kingdoms. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, which we're going to look at a little bit, uh, a little bit later, he, he says literally every knee will bow and say, Jesus is the king of the world. He's speaking to the existing emperor. You will bow. Jesus is the king. His kingdom is over all. Can you see like this is a little spicy language that Paul's taking in here? Because, you know, we, we usually, it's too easy to think of the gospel as, you know, I don't know, the smell of potpourri and phrases on a thing you put on your wall, right? Uh, this, this is like intense stuff. Paul's like coming and kicking the beehive. And here's what he's saying is that King Jesus is the one who determines the proper conduct of his kingdom citizens. So, so here's, here's a little uh, paraphrase I'll, I'll do of this, just this sentence. Paul's saying, church in Philippi, in light of the good news that Jesus is the new king, while you're here on earth, act as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of his kingdom. Okay? It's his kingdom that takes precedence over all. He's defeated all the powers of sin, death, Satan. All will bow to his knee. You are citizens of this kingdom. Already, very culturally sensitive moment, right? And, but I guess Paul didn't care. He said, I'll let you beat me and then I'll tell you to walk me out of the city based on my Roman citizenship. I just use it as I need it. Okay. So then, this is good. He says, then I will know. If you're acting as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, here's how that will look. This is what it's going to look like. You'll stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. If you're living as citizens, as if Jesus is the king of everything, you will... Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
to stand firm is, is, a, is actually a military term. It's one that would be used awesome for, uh, often for, guys, take your positions together. Be committed together side by side in this moment. Which is also a little, you know, intense that it's a military term. In the one spirit, Paul's about to say one more sentence. If, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, what he's saying here is that it is the one spirit that enables them to be one. It's the spirit itself that enables us to be one. He'll repeat it again at 2-1. And then for, what for? For the faith of the gospel. The faith. Paul later talks about the faith. And, and what he doesn't mean is just a vague sense of hopefulness. Uh, what he means is the actual content, the faith, meaning he'll talk about in 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, other places. The faith is this, that Jesus is the Son of God, died, rose again, uh, and, and has forgiven us of our sins and will come back and bring his kingdom. The faith is the content of the gospel. But anytime Paul talks about the gospel, he's also talking about the conduct of the gospel. A lot of times we can get out of whack here. We just think if we believe the right things, everything's good between us and God. And that's not it at all. Belief and behavior are never separated in the New Testament thought. So how do we know that here? Well, Paul says it very clearly in this very paragraph. Verse 29. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In other words, he's just given a job description to the Christians at Philippi. Here's what it is. Believe the stuff which we're used to, right? Oh, you got to believe the right stuff to be a Christian. And suffer for him. You're going to act in a certain way. You're going to be in a certain context. Why? Because there's stuff going on in Philippi that's hard to deal with. There's stuff that's hard to deal with. Okay, so. Here's a paraphrase of this sentence. Church in Philippi, in light of the good news that Jesus is the new king, while you're here on earth, act as citizens of his kingdom. Here's how, how I will know you're acting like his kingdom citizens. You will stand as one together in the spirit and in the gospel. All right. For those who don't enjoy technical stuff, we're done with that part. You, you okay? My wife's now going to tune back in. Thank you. All right. See, I mean, we, we talk only about it. My wife is a gift to y'all. I'm just telling you. I work so hard to make that short because of her. So, all right. So church according to Philippians, two things we see here. The first is the church is citizens of heaven. I wasn't sure used to use is or are. I was going back and forth. So any, any English stops? Anna, what do you think? Church are, then you sound really British, you know. The church all citizens, you know. So I don't know, church is singular, I don't know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go after that. Anna's actually going to deal with that at greater length when you get to chapter 3. Not the verb conjugation, the citizens of heaven thing. But yeah, <laughs> please, please no, okay. But this is what I want to spend time with this morning is that Paul is saying here that the church is identified and unified by the Spirit and the gospel. 
How do you know it's the church? How do you know you're living as kingdom, uh, kingdom citizens, citizens of heaven? The spirit and the gospel. How do we hold together? The spirit and the gospel. Okay, and we see Paul demonstrated this. He's, the whole intro to Philippians, he praised the Philippians for their participation with him in the gospel. And then he promised that God will finish what he started in them. Little side note, that whole, I know God will complete what he started. He's not talking about our personal dreams. It's not what he's talking about. He's, he's going to, you guys started in participating in the gospel with me. And together, he's going to finish the work of the gospel going forth in Philippi and in Macedonia through you. That's what he's talking about. Does he like our personal dreams? Sure. Secondary. If you're over 50, say amen, right? We've already learned this the hard way. If you're still struggling, just relinquish. It's too late now. You're not going to be an astronaut or the president anytime soon. So let it go. Me neither. You see, you know, I mean, it's so. Then Paul says, Timothy was with me in the work of the gospel. He talks about all these other people, Yodia, Syntyche, who are women leaders in the church, and a guy named Clement. And other co-workers he doesn't name all worked with Paul in the cause of the gospel. His engagement with the Philippians was all about the gospel from the beginning, is what he says at the very end of the letter. Is this this gospel thing that Paul's actually practicing that is actually holding them together? So the question that's really important for us to ask is, okay, the church is identified and unified by the spirit and the gospel. Why is that important? Well, Paul tells us in these, this, these last two sentences of this paragraph. He said, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Why? Well, without being in any way frightened in any way by those who oppose you, it's a sign to them. Your, your non-anxious presence, you not being frightened, is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Why is this important that the church is unified by the spirit and the gospel? Is only the spirit and the gospel can hold us together. Think about this. Will we suffer for our favorite flavor of ice cream? Right, there, there, are, there are certain things that aren't really worth suffering over, right? That's a bad example, but I do that on purpose because, you know, there's, there are things that we, after a while, can suffer a little bit for. We might suffer for beauty, you know, or this or that. But when it comes to, are you going to die for something? Paul's literally saying, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And he's not just speaking as a metaphor, you know, it's like, they're going to kill me eventually. And they eventually did. But only the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was on Mount Sinai, the same Spirit that was on Isaiah the prophet, the same Spirit that was on Jeremiah, the same Spirit that actually hovered over the chaos of darkness at creation. And the gospel, this, this announcement that Jesus is king, and he's coming to set everything right. Only thing, those are the only things that are strong enough to actually hold us together. To actually face what's normal 
for the Christian church to face as it has in the last 2,000 years. Fastest growing church in the world. Anyone want to guess where it is? Iran. Iran has the fastest growing Christian church on the planet right now. Yeah. It's fairly well known. Why? Because they are living the normal Christian life. It's actually a little bit easier to do what they're doing simply because they have a little bit clearer, uh, fewer distractions. The, the, the bar's a little higher in. Because if, if we have to center on something that's bigger than ourselves that we're willing to die for, it's got to be the spirit and the gospel and not just, man, I like their music. And, and that's the other reason it's so important that we understand that the church is identified and unified by the Spirit and the gospel. It's because we are constantly tempted to unite around other things. I, I'm including myself with that. I'm just one, I'm one of y'all, a sheep with the sheep. And what are some of those things? What are, you know, like one could be leaders, right? I like that guy. He's so awesome. I love his shoes. You know, I mean, it's like the things we fixate on are shocking. Now, if you like my shoes, go ahead and tell me. I'm not going to be mad about it. But, but it, it has blown my mind, the comments that I and my little church have heard, that, like in epic sermons. It's like, man, your tag was sticking out the whole time. I caught nothing else. It's like, oh, man. I get it, I get it, I've done the same thing. But how many of you guys remember that song, Jesus Never Fails? Jesus never fails. Jesus. This is back back in the, you got to be my age. This is for all the 50 plus people. But I, I thought of a good song that would help us. Leaders always fail. Leaders always fail. Yeah. Yes. If I haven't failed or disappointed you yet, you don't know me well. That's just the truth, right, friends in the front row? <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, what were you saying? No, oh, we weren't even listening. You know, it's like... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. You want to read a classic book. It's called The Democratization of American Christianity. The Democratization of American Christianity by a guy named Nathan Hatch, who's a historian. He wrote it in, like, 1989, 1990. And someone, he, he was to, someone had asked the question of Tim Keller. I'd heard this. Uh, why is it that in America it seems like we, we all of a sudden have this amazing charismatic leader and then that then he blows up and it yeah you know, but then we do it again and again and what nathan hatch has shown in american history is we've been doing that since 1780 in america we've just done it we, we were doing it then we are anti-institutional as america so we kick down a church institution but then that creates a lot of chaos and so this strong man comes in and goes i'll show you the way we're like show us the way and they're like it's so disappointing that you're not Jesus after all. It's deeply rooted in our bones in America. 
to, to try to find the next leader. And there's nothing wrong with leadership. It's important. But what it's like is a very serious deal. It's one of the things I want to talk about in the 50 plus group. Because we're in a moment. We're in a moment of transformation. If we capitalize on it, if we get into it, I think we're going to see something we've never seen before in the U.S. That's quite a statement. But at least in our little church. That's why we like to have all these young people engaged because it's not about one leader. It's about the Holy Spirit working through a group of people, just like we saw in the New Testament. You know, Paul wasn't doing that much in churches. He was in jail a lot. He just got his letters. They're like, what is going on? Oh, you wrote us a letter. What? Let's read it tomorrow night. What are you guys? Yeah, I don't know. The other thing is that we, we can center on our likes, right? People. I like those people. I'm going to tell you, the people are so important. People are the church, right? But if the only people you relate with in church are people you like, you have not yet come into church. You are, the, the, why would all these, this crazy group of people coming from all these different strata of life be in one room and God's just dancing saying, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Well, we don't because we like people who are like me. Right? Stop annoying me, man. And it's the people that annoy you that are helping you become like Jesus. It's absolutely true. The mistake, Mike Edens always tells me, the mistake we think, we think we're doing well with God when everything's smooth probably means nothing's happening. It's in the discomfort that we're actually growing, right? How many of you guys ever have gone to a workout and said, I'll do whatever you ask as long as it feels good the whole time? <laughs> right? And I'll smell you some snake oil to go with it, you know? I mean, it's like, it just doesn't happen to we're around the people that are hitting those things off of us and, and, and we stick with it and hold it. We're not actually in church. Passions. We all want to be about the same thing that I like. They don't have the flavor I like there. Fine, okay, but is that enough to hold us together? Politics. Guys, if the Roman Empire wasn't strong enough for Paul, I mean, we base a lot of our law on the Roman Empire. I mean, it, Paul's like, eh. I mean, they, would, they beat the dude, man. Without really knowing all they, I don't know, he did something dumb. Let's beat him. Put him in jail. Now what'd you do? We're so tempted, so tempted to try to center church. Guys, church is not a group that we even have anything to do with creating. It is the kingdom of God. Church is not an idea. We're describing a reality. Something that exists whether we believe in it or not. Doesn't matter. God's the one who creates this. Something incredibly holy. That's why the church is so holy. Because God makes her. King Jesus rules over. And other world views we try to sometimes get around. Have you noticed... Like, if everybody thinks just the same as you, that's, that's not a good sign. I like it. I like it. But there, there are other things than just what I like. 
Now, I, I, I thought this would be fun. I just had this thought pop in my mind. Trust is the Holy Spirit. Has anyone seen this like on a flag before? You want to see some weird flags? Drive by 71st and Memorial. You guys seen those? Like, it's like Donald Trump with Chuck Norris's body. You know, it's like, who made that, man? That's. And who's buying that? You know, it's like, what's happening? And if that's on your wall at home, I'm sorry, man. It's just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I don't, I, yeah, anybody with Chuck Norris's body is a little odd to me, you know, in general. But this, 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 this kind of an oaky thing I've heard. I'm, I'm from Iowa. So we, we don't, it's, it's a very different culture there than here. But I've been, I've been in Tulsa for 27 years, maybe. So I've, I've caught on. Still don't own a truck. God, family, and country. What's wrong with that? It's a heresy. <laughs> wow. Yes. It's not a biblical worldview. It's not a citizen of heaven worldview. Hopefully it's clear enough from just Philippians that country is not a competition for the kingdom. It's not an equal value set in any sense. We're citizens of heaven. Now this one may be even harder, nor is family. Does anyone remember Jesus saying some salty words about if you are going to let mom and dad tell you not to follow me, what, what, what's your option? You, you have to leave your family. This is the value set. This is our worldview. It's just that simple. He is the boss. Now, here's what's beautiful is that we love our families because God instructs us to. Ephesians 5, we set a high standard. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In other words, if it takes it for you to die to love your wife, then do it. That's what he's saying. But we do it because our king tells us, not because it's a value set we bring along with him. Does it make sense? It's the same thing with our country. Romans 13, Paul's very clear. Submit to the authorities that are. God's doing stuff through them. First Timothy 2, he says, pray for your leaders. But we do that because Jesus tells us to. Not because it's a value we import along with our king and his rule. Does that make sense? It, there's, a, there's, a, there's a total flip. You're like saying, well, you're kind of still saying God, family, and country. No, not at all, actually. Because if God said no family or country, then I guess we just do that because he's our king. Yeah. And here's what's the crazy thing is any country that's remotely succeeding, it's because they figured out what the actual king is like and are trying to mimic some of his kingdom. But the problem, one of the reasons that we're seeing the West implode Mark Sayers has said it this way, is we want the kingdom without the king. It don't work. We want equality without the king. It's not going to work. Only Jesus brings us equality at the foot of the cross. We, we want whatever the thing is. I want freedom. I want da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. No king, no kingdom. And we're watching it fall apart around us, aren't we? 
So, the church, we, this holy entity, that God has gone to the most utter extremes to rescue us so that we can be His temple, we can be His nation. The citizens of heaven, is that church is identified and unified by the Spirit and the gospel. So let's put this into practice then. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask just a few hypothetical questions that would say, because what do you, how, how do I do this? Now here's the good news. The rest of Philippians is going to tease this out pretty well. On here's some practical things to do, how to live out the spirit and the gospel. But just, let's just, let's just play with some of these questions right now and see what we can do. Let's pretend that you're slightly irritated by perhaps even in conflict with someone in your church community. Just pretend. (laughs) How could you unite with them by the Spirit and the Gospel? (laughs) Wednesday night class, okay. Whatever class it is, go to Rob Searcy and ask him. Is that Anna's class? Oh, no, 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 no. It's, It's the conflict resolution class. That's right. Yeah, the Lindsay's just sitting there going... When's he going to finish? We did, we did all this already. How do you access the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Have you ever known how hard it is to be mad at somebody you're praying with? I had an actual meeting, and I'm looking to see if those people were in here. They're not. <laughs> they would tell you the same thing, too, but this was amazing. I thought, because they were in way conflict, I said, let's just start in prayer. I'm going to let them pray. And we sat there. It felt like for days. It it, it could have been more than a few minutes, but nobody would pray. It's a sign, isn't it? I was like, oh, this is going to be a long one. (laughs) Nobody would pray. Like, this is not a good thing. Because they're both probably smart enough that if I start praying, then I got to. Start forgiving and listening and all that nonsense. <laughs> okay, there's another one. Because this is about the content. Let's pretend that you and another follower of Jesus have a disagreement over politics. We're pretending. <laughs> How would you unite with each other by the Spirit and the Gospel? Submit to the King. It's kind of interesting is Paul's, what Paul is mostly concerned about, in fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, I, I, I determined to know among you what? Nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Nothing but the gospel. He just keeps on coming back to the gospel. Oh, Paul, Paul, you were so unrealistic. You didn't live in the real world of politics, Paul. Well, it was Rome that killed him. He, he knew what was going down. Do we unite over politics? Oh, but God, all certain things just happen. If you're a Christian, you have to believe these things. I don't know. I don't know if I'm smart enough for that. But I know I can comprehend the gospel. I can be in fellowship with the Spirit. This way and this way. Laying my life down. Guys, this is so utterly serious. I don't know how to say it enough. If we don't do this, we are killing 
the light of the witness of the gospel in our culture. It's going away. It's so serious. We cannot let up on this. Here's another one that's good. Let's say someone who's not a believer says to you that all Christians are narrow-minded and unkind. How would you respond to them in a way that identifies you? Not necessarily uniting with them because if they don't have the Spirit and haven't said yes to the gospel, that's a nonsense proposition. You can't ask Christians to act like Christians. Everybody know that, right? That's really important. You got to think about that with their kids, anybody in development. Only God can transform us through their decisions and their response to the Spirit of God. Can't control people. Stop it if you're trying. Only the only people, person who tries to control people is Satan. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He says, "Come to me, but I won't make you. I'm going to try my best to draw you." But how would you respond to somebody who says that to you in a way that identifies you with the Holy Spirit? And the gospel of Jesus Christ, King Jesus, who lays down his life for the ungrateful, lets them spit on him, hit him till he's dead, and says, I'm doing this because I'm in love with you. Oh, guys, listen, I'm telling you, Paul said it this if you hold your nerve, if you're not frightened, if you stay in the spirit and the gospel, people are going to freak out. Nobody knows what to do with somebody who knows who they are. You either have to make fun of them or say that they've probably got some other agenda. They're probably getting money through it somehow. Right? But no, I am here out of love for you. Because my king, on his behalf with him, I'll suffer with him because we're in love with you. Let's stand together. You know, one of the things I really like about the spirit and gospel thing that Paul's showing us here is sometimes it's easy to say if you just love everybody, everything would go okay. But there's so many constellations of what love means that it's almost a meaningless word. You know what I'm saying? You've heard it say, I love pancakes, I love my wife. Is that, you know? (laughs) But being in the love of God himself, the spirit. Can, Can I, can you be in a spot where you could actually hear a word for somebody who's saying you're unkind and intolerant? We, we, we actually had this going on at Believers recently. This person I'm just in love with who says, I hate Christians. I'm like, awesome. Let's hang out. And we are hanging out. And it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Why? Because I'm not, I have nothing to convince her. I'm just, I, I'm in reality, right? I'm, I'm with Jesus. I'm with the king. And, and the king suffers for those he loves so that they'll meet him. <laughs> so, and truth be told, it's not that big of a deal. It's been really pretty beautiful. The gospel, not in the gospel, there's content to our love. It has clarity that has sin in it. <laughs> and salvation in it. 
So, Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, we cannot do this. <laughs> we do not have what it takes to live this life. But thank you that you clearly say it takes the Holy Spirit to do this. It takes the living Spirit of God to unite us together as your people in the actual story of what's going on in reality, which is that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins, rose to life again, and is now King of the universe and will come to bring his kingdom and bring an end to all sin, sickness, and suffering. That Satan's, Satan's days are numbered and shorter every day. Every day, his future is shorter. And that is the certainty we have in your gospel kingdom. Help us. Help us. We need your help. Lord, we recognize that this is probably going to involve some deep transformative work in some of us. I know it has in me. Things that I grew up with and thought about that I took for granted that I even realized were influencing me. Lord, you're messing with. And sometimes I think, it, you're like, leave me. I want to say, leave me alone. But Lord, I don't mean it. Leave me. Don't leave us alone. Transform us to be your bride, that holy bride you're in love with and you died for. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you don't follow this Jesus yet, come, come and talk to me. Come talk to friends. Just to talk about what it's like. It's, it's super hard and super awesome. Love you. Have a great week.